0: Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office equipment solutions North America wide. Yeah,
1: Digitex does that.
0: D I G I T E X dot C A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. 12.34 in Edmonton. Guests and orders now receive guest certificates to Roos Chris Steakhouse. Roos Chris, it's the greatest steak you've ever had. Follow Sizzle to 99 Jasper, uh, 9990 Jasper Avenue. Tell Maggie and the staff at uh, Roos Chris that orders now sent you popped in there last night. Took the kids in. Was Daddy Daycare yesterday? Wasn't that fun? Uh, good seeing Brendan Connolly. They got the '99 and '99 event coming up. We'll hear a little bit about that coming up next week. Without further ado, for our friends at the River Cree Resort and Casino, we bring aboard Elliot Friedman. Hello, Elliot. How you doing? Hey, bud. So,
1: how was Daddy Daycare yesterday? Is the house still standing?
0: Uh, well, I, I, I did, I did what you know men are supposed to do. I took the kids to a movie, and uh, and then we went out. What'd for, you see? Oh man, missing missing link. What's that? It's like uh, about an explorer or whatever—a guy that goes and looks for like the Loch Ness monster. And uh, oh, it sounds actually. Uh, it was yeah, you know, it was pretty cool. Now, do you know this? By the way, just as an aside for the listeners out there, does anybody know the story about those nine Russians that got killed in 1959? Where, where oh
1: they... my god, you know what? I got to tell you something. My wife is into these true crime podcasts, and yeah. I'm starting to get into them too. Yeah. She listened to a story about that, and she said to me, you have got to look at this. Oh, yeah. So I was actually doing some reading
0: about it this week. What a story. That is that is the most, incre- like, I don't know about you, but I never, and I like to think, I, well, you know this, I like to think I'm an all I'd never uh-huh. heard about this. and No, I didn't know this one either. And so, anyways, these, these nine... I don't. What would you describe them as? Uh, they were stu- students, and yeah, and they. Uh, and it's not like they were going on like a hiking trip. Yeah, they were going on like a ski trip into yeah, deep into the Ural Mountains, and it's near uh yeah uh, yeah Kinnerberg. It's not too far from which is where. Remember Joffrey Lupul went. He wrote that piece on what's yes. right about how bizarre it was. Be anyways, they went into the mountains and. Uh, they were ripped to shreds. It's 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 quite a horrific story, and there's still, I don't know about you, Ali, did you get the sense that, you know, there might be something less like one, like it doesn't quite add up?
1: Yes, it, it, it's, it's a strange, strange story. Like, if you're a conspiracy theorist, yes. you'd listen to that, and you'd be coming up with a lot of different ideas
0: as to what, what really happened? Like me. that, the Yeti actually does exist is one of the stories that you think it might have might have transpired.
1: You no, know, it's it's funny you mention that because my wife told me about it this week, and I was reading about it, and I was thinking, yes, I, I am going to listen to this. I'm going to have to hear what this is all about.
0: Yeah. So, anyways, missing link was sort of a cute kid thing uh, that involved this guy that you know had to make a decision about being recognized for actually you know you know finding the Loch Ness monster, finding the Sasquatch. It's, it was, pretty, it was pretty well done. All right, uh, the missing link. What was the missing link for the Toronto Maple Leafs to advance past the Boston Bruins? Because we're going to start there. We're going to hit on Dubas. We're going to transition into Babcock, uh, talk a bit about the impact of agents, and that'll tie into the Oilers' management position. There we go. That's it in a nutshell. So let's get to it. Elliot, what happened to Toronto in the end from your perspective?
1: Well, I think they should have won the series, first of all. I mean, Game 4 and Game 6 were games that they should have won. I, I think... In a lot of ways, you could make an argument that Toronto should have won the series in six games. They didn't. And I think the Bruins deserve a lot of credit. You know What you really realize about them when you deal with them is they believe they're going to win. They are calm. They never panic. They're confident in themselves, what they've been through. And you know the, the three guys who really drive the bus on that team, Bergeron, Chara, and Marchand, they are tight. They are on the same wavelength and they say that we're going to go through ups, we're going to go through downs, but at the end, we're going to get there. And I think that brings a calming influence over their entire team. They just kept with it, and as the series went on, I, I don't think Toronto uh, has Boston's confidence. And, you know, some of those guys are still young, and ho- and hopefully for them, they'll get there someday. But, you know, Boston, you know, in every... You know, they could have folded several times. They lost three... Um, one game series leads. Uh, they could have. Uh, they could have lost. It. They could have lost uh, in Toronto, and uh, in Game Six when they fell down one to nothing, and they didn't. They just found a way, and so that was one factor. I mean, you know, unfortunately Frederick Anderson picked the worst night of the year to have his worst game of the year. Um, you know, he. I. He, he can't give him too much criticism. He had a dynamite season. He was the reason they got where they were. He was fantastic in that series, and he had a bad night in Game 7. But, you know, one thing I do think, and it's going to be one of their biggest offseason questions, is the Kadri suspension. For the second year in a row, it really cost them. He's a really important player for them. Um, they didn't, you know, uh, it cost them a lot of flexibility. I mean, you watch it again if you watched that game last night. Bruce Cassidy, he can take David Pasternak and he can put him on the first line or he can put him on the second line. With all those forwards he's got who are going now, he can move guys around and and create some difficult matchups. Toronto didn't have that luxury without Kadri. They had to keep uh, Nylander as the third-line centre. That line didn't work, and uh, they couldn't move him around. And that really cost Toronto. And for the second year in a row, it cost Toronto, and it's going to be a very interesting
0: uh, decision to see what they do with him uh, towards the offseason. Now, I watched a lot of what occurred yesterday in Toronto uh, later on in the night when I got back and uh, watched both press conferences. Uh, obviously, you know, some of us have known Mike Babcock, maybe from afar, not closely, but for 25 years now. And yep. um, let's just say the tone in Kyle Dubas's presser, to me, was a little bit different than the tone in Babcock's and maybe that's well, I part think that's fair yeah is that fair and I gotta yeah. tell you like you know guys like James Myrtle have been pumping up uh Dubas is brilliant for all these years he, my, I had my wife watch it you know because my wife you know is a is in an executive role and she watched she goes that guy's got leadership skills coming out of the you know what and uh, yeah. it was Dubis had a. I don't care what anybody says. From my perspective, he had a pretty good day yesterday, man. The way he handled that whole situation was quite impressive. The amount of personal accountability he took to the failure of the Leafs. I mean, you don't see that a lot, Elliot.
1: No, and you have to do that. I'm, I'm a big believer in that too, Bob. Like when you're, when you're the guy at the top of the chain, and he. Well, I mean, aside from Shanahan, he's at the top of the chain. Yeah. Um, You get credit for things that go well underneath you like you know for example gm doesn't handle any draft pick every draft pick but if your fifth rounder turns out to be a stud you get the credit for that because it happened under your watch sure um so when things don't go well you even if they're not all your fault you the buck stops with you you have to take the blame you know the only thing that dubis said yesterday that i didn't like was that he said that um you know, it was the first time in eight years he'd been out after the first round. And I know in the last few years, sure. um, you know, he'd been the GM of the Marlies, but you're still in the Toronto organization. Yes. And I, I'm sure, you know, if he could do that again, he would, you know, he... he, he like, he'll never repeat that line, I bet. He, I'm sure he realizes that wasn't a great one. But other than that, I agree I, I agree completely with you that he I, he took responsibility. And I had people texting me, like, What kind of GM takes responsibility for the the penalty kill being not good? It's not his fault. And I I say you're missing the point. He's just simply doing what you said, Bob. He's taking responsibility for everything. You know, I mean, the the one thing that kind of stood out was he didn't um, come right out and say Babcock is going to be back. Right. And I'm sure, uh, you know, I'd be curious to know what Babcock's reaction to that would be and I'm sure there's some hashing out that has to be done over the next couple of months.
0: Does Babcock need to worry more about his relationship with Austin Matthews, given the fact that Judd Moldover is now his agent, um, Then he has to worry about his relationship moving forward with Kyle Dubas?
1: Well, I, I think it's everything, right? Like, like you know, Babcock's built a lot of things here. You know, he's a lightning rod, but he has built a lot of things here. He's, you know, he's he's taught, he's, He prepares really well. I mean, you know all the good things he does. Um, And he has built a lot of things in Toronto. Um, You know, I I do think, you know, last year we know that they had to have a big conversation after the series was over. And I am sure that, again, all of this is going to come up. Um, Matthews played, I think, in the seven-game series. I think it was five games over 20 minutes. And game seven... He was 1848, but there were a couple of minutes late that really kind of after the game was pretty much decided that really drove that number up. And if I know Matthews, that's going to eat at him. You know, I don't think coaches and players have to like each other, but I think they have to respect each other and they have to understand where each other is coming from it's not the worst thing in the world if a coach pushes his star player to be better, but you've got to be on the same page. And, you know, I can see the possibility that they're not always on the same page. That's for sure.
0: All right. How important are agencies in this business in terms of what happens with organizations moving forward?
1: Well, I think, I think they're important. Like some agents have real power. Um, Depending on you know how many clients you have, how many clients you have on a particular team, who your client is, and, and how important your client is, absolutely, I think it matters.
0: All right, um, so let's let's cut to the chase here. So mm-hmm. Moldover is partners with Jeff Jackson. Jeff Jackson. Yep. M- Jeff Jackson has Connor McDavid. Moldover yep. has Austin Matthews. Do you yep. believe those guys would have some input into the Maple Leafs and Oilers organizations?
1: I don't know, you know, I I don't know if input's the right word. I don't think, well, I shouldn't say that. I think, yes, they do. But I think you have to be careful of what you do there. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with going to your star player or going to your star player's agent and saying, you know, before this gets out, this is what we're thinking. Um, You know, I think there's there's never a wrong with, look, we're doing a GM search, like you guys are now. Right. Is there anything in particular that you want to see, or that's important to you? But, and I think what a good agent does in that situation is, they say, "Okay, if you're opening this door to us, um, you know, this is what we'd like to see, and this is what is important." But. You don't want to see... I, 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 you never want to see an agent take advantage and, and say, I want you to hire this guy because it benefits that agent. If right. you ever feel you're getting into that situation, then you've got a problem. Yeah. But a good agent will say, okay, let's talk about this. This is what's important to us. We want to make sure you know about that. And a good president or a good owner will say... I appreciate that. We're taking it into consideration and we'll keep you abreast, but we're making the final call. And we're going to make the best hire based on that and everything else we're looking at. Like, I find it hard to believe that at some level Connor McDavid you know, doesn't have an idea of what's going on. Sure. But I don't think a player should ever make the choice because I think that that leads to trouble.
0: All right. We're joined by Elliot Friedman from NHL Hockey and Rogers for the River Creek Resort Casino. Bob Stauffer with you. Why is it, Elliot? You know what's interesting? And you reported last week Dale Hunter, or sorry, Mark Hunter. And it yep. might, you know what? He <laughs> might be reporting Dale Hunter too at some stage. Who knows? Yep. Uh, but Mark Hunter. And, and I can tell you the multitude of uh, conversations I've had with people out east. Nothing but the utmost respect for the work that Mark Hunter does with London. Uh, certainly, all the OHL people, and you know he had some time with the Leafs as well, obviously. And then out west, and I and I'll be frank with you. Obviously, I know I know a lot more people around the Western League than I know in the OHL, but yep. the same goes for Kelly McCrimmon. Yeah. It, is, it is pretty interesting in terms of how strongly people think in, in those, that have worked in those leagues over the years that both those guys are really capable guys and legit candidates for the Oilers' position.
1: Well, I believe your position, I, I think you, you're in your second phase right now. And I think the Oilers are down to probably three people, and I think they interviewed a lot of people, but I think they're down to about three and I think Hunter's one, and I think McCrimmon's one, and I'm not 100% sure on the other. Um, with And I remember, to, I always leave the wild card is, what does Ken Holland want to do? And as you know, I've been on Ken Holland at the beginning as somebody who would very much be on the other radar if he was interested. Right. So I don't have the answer to that question at this point in time, but... I do believe that if he's interested, he's very much a factor. But I believe it's down to at least Hunter McCrimmon, possibly someone else. I think, uh, you know, I, I think you guys could be in a position where not long after the uh, under-18s are over, you could be ready to do to announce a hiring. Um, so what's that? Next seven to ten days. I will I tell you. Possible.
0: I will tell you, and I don't know what Bob's level of involvement is with this, Bob mm-hmm. Nicholson. Uh, but the mm-hmm. owners' pro and amateur scouting meetings take place, as do a number of organizations over the next ten days.
1: Yeah. So, so I think it's possible that yep. that could happen. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, look, I, I think those are your guys, and I, and I think that, um, I, I, I think that you're in a position where probably the biggest question is going to be. Uh, what is the level of power that someone who can come in is going to get? Right. And I think that's what people want to know the answer to.
0: Well, if you're talking those two guys, to me, you're talking a GM only position. It is not. Well, you
1: know, Bob pretty much said that already, right? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, in the, in, in, unless something changes, that's my assumption.
0: All right, Elliot, one final curveball for you.
1: Okay. Let's see
0: if I can hit it. Actually, uh, two quick hitters. So okay. here we go. Which team are you most interested in watching moving forward in the playoffs?
1: Uh, probably San Jose. I think, depending on Jones, I think they're the best team remaining 1-23. to Okay.
0: Uh, and who's more likely to get traded? Nikolai Ehlers out of Winnipeg or mm-hmm. William Nylander out of Toronto? Boy,
1: well, it's, a, it's a good question. I'm... Um, I would say the one thing that Nylander is, is interesting about Nylander is almost half his contract is paid out in July first. Yep. The way they structured it, the bonus when he signed, the bonus on July first, and you know the money that was paid to him this season, it's it's gone after July first. So. You know, you're, you're getting William Nylander if you want him after this year for six years, I think it is. Yeah. And um, a cash about $4 million a season.
0: About $25 Yeah. Yeah. It's a good deal. It's a good deal. Sort of deal at organizations like Arizona as an example, seemed to have a lot of time for.
1: And, and you know, the other thing on Nylander, and I, and I think he said it pretty well, Like I don't, I don't think it's an excuse, but this year was a write-off.
0: Sure. And again, now du- Dubas took some accountability and maybe tipped off how he's going to deal with Marner as a result.
1: Well, I think there's no question about that, and I said this last night on our show, what Kyle Dubas said to me last night was, Mitch Marner, if it, if they if they're not risking an offer sheet, yep. So they're going to get it done, or they're going to be prepared to put them out there.
0: So ten to eleven million bucks in that range. I think so.
1: Like the highest paid winners in the league are Kucherov and Stone. Yeah, they're at nine five, but they both play in tax free states, right? Sure. So I think that's that's kind of where you're gonna be Suddenly, you know, I think I think Marner wants the Matthews deal yeah I don't know if Toronto's willing to go there
0: well suddenly the Leon dry deal from a couple years ago doesn't look so bad does it
1: no it doesn't you know that's the whole thing like it depends on when you're born right sure
0: <laughs> absolutely Elliot great stuff have a terrific weekend hope that voice gets uh back up to 100 percent and we'll hook up next week man all right, Bob. Take care, man. Have a great weekend. You bet. Twelve fifty three in Edmonton. We'll take a quick timeout. Bob Stoffer, Brendan Escott with you on Oilers now. This is Zach Cassian from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on six thirty. Check Stoffer, inspector for horse racing Alberta Century Mile. The uh, live racing starts Sunday. And uh, we'll have a guest on to discri- discuss that a little bit later on coming up from uh, Century Mile here on Oilers Now as we'll be joined by Paul Reinwald uh, Brendan Escott is with us as well Brendan you had a question? Yeah so you sent this tweet out a little earlier this morning Bob um, regardless of who becomes the Oilers next GM it's all about drafting development of, unless you're getting out getting back excuse me flat out studs with term cannot squander assets and you go on a little bit more but you're talking about flat out studs is that where you're looking at an Oilers or a Nelander? what do you mean by that? Uh, or better or a player that's uh, more accomplished and that you can get signed to an extension. Uh, I mean, look, the, the Oilers traded away a 16 and a 33 for Reinhardt. I believe Griffin Reinhardt had a much higher c- ceiling than he ultimately panned out to have. I'll, you know, I tried to convince Peter Shirelli to and, and Craig McTavish to buy in on Derek Ryan when he was cheap, like when he was a $600,000 player and a $700,000 player and a $1.5 million player. And they weren't interested. And uh, last year's a different scenario because the owners just didn't have the cap space to get in that uh, bidding war for Ryan. Um, but I, I will tell you, like, you know, in, in the Taylor Hall thing, I mean, again, we already talked about the fact that housing and, and I'll talk about this with spec housing and Kevin Lowe structured completely different deals than Shirely did for Taylor Hall. And Hall wanted to be here and the two guys those guys had wanted to get traded and they got way more in return. Uh, but on the Reinhard trade, like as you get, you have a number four overall pick, and two years later, you, you you just have to give up a number sixteen to get him. And if you believe that you know that player better than anybody else, then why wouldn't have you have done the deal? And so the Oilers missed. That's a bogey on that trade. Now throwing in the additional second round pick. Now, and what I'm saying moving forward here is, I think Shirelli tried to to push it and put an impact on things and then put right away his footprint on the team. And it backfired. And you wonder where would we be now if they just drafted the two guys at 16 and 33 and he just stuck with Hall and not moved too quickly. I think we all know where they would have been. And it, it, I've had I've had players on the team this year suggest to me, you know, if we just would have stuck with McClellan and just stuck with Strom and struck with Kajula. Do we make the playoffs with the way the Western Conference went? That's a fair question that needs to be asked. We'll ask Mark Spector for his opinion on that coming up after we go to a global news, weather, traffic update, Kyle Morris. Oilers now with Bob Stauffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.